0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer, I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that I was in digital. I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital and so this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks as always to everyone who's downloaded it, do subscribe, do leave a review, I truly want this to be your podcast so please do tweet me at Kate Hamer Ltd or email me kate at katehamer.com with any feedback questions or topics that you'd like to cover. This week I'm going to be talking about the latest digital news with a focus on Twitter moments, some ad changes on Twitter, meerkats change to house party and some developments to Google Analytics. I've also got As always some examples of some cool stuff that brands are doing and I'm cheating a bit at the end of this week's pod because Jerry Dakin's written another great digital sense piece this time about Twitter and so I'm going to tell you about his blog at the end of the podcast. So let's get cracking. Social media first as always. Nothing from Facebook's side in terms of updates but I did have a survey in my news feed this week where there were 10 questions and each question showed two different ads and I had to say which I would prefer to see and it seemed to be combinations of different types of content and brands within the ads and also different formats so the carousel of images video etc so I'm not entirely sure how they're going to know my motivation between the format and the content of the ads but let's see over the coming weeks if I notice a difference in terms of the quality of targeting for advertising in my feed I will keep you up to date For Instagram there are a couple of updates to the latest app version certainly on iPhone so you can now save posts as a draft and come back to them later and you can also mute someone's Instagram story so if you tap and hold their profile picture in the bar at the top it will then move them to the end of the bar and it won't autoplay their stories when you're watching all the other stories. Onto Snap Inc. as we have to call them since last week's change, so they were part of a successful appeal this week to be allowed to take selfies in the voting booth in the U.S. So they cited the ballot selfie as a uniquely powerful form of political expression, and position themselves as a news gatherer who has First Amendment interest in disseminating user-generated content. So they're general counsel chris hammond said today's ruling is a victory for free speech in the digital age we're thrilled the court recognized that ballot selfies are an important way for americans especially younger americans to participate in the political process so i don't know if that uh, rule is going to apply everywhere in america that was in new hampshire but uh, certainly times are changing in terms of the ways that people can use social media for voting. There's also an article in The Drum which I've linked to from the companion page with some key stats around Snapchat. So some of these I've said on the podcast before, but Snapchat's got 150 million daily users. European users account for 50 million of those. USA and Canada, 60 million. 2 thirds of Snapchat users create content daily. The average user spends 25 to 30 minutes on Snapchat. Ad revenues for this year are estimated to hit 366 million, growing to 935 million next year. So huge opportunity uh, in terms of advertising on the platform. Videos are generating more than 10 billion views a day. Which is up from four billion a day last year. Geo filters are viewed over one billion times a day, which has doubled in uh, just a few months. Forty-nine million users use Snapchat to watch coverage from the Olympics, and forty-one percent of eighteen to thirty-four year olds in the U.S. use Snapchat each day. So I've put a link to the article on the companion page and there's some examples of what different brands are doing on Snapchat in there that could be useful for you. On to Twitter, so the big news this week on Twitter is now anyone can create their own moment, so that's a curated tweet of several tweets together along a particular theme. I've embedded a tweet on the companion page to show how it works. You can do it on desktop on twitter.com at the moment so basically if you go to your profile page you'll now see a moments uh, section next to likes. You click on that and then on the right hand side of the page you can create a moment. So you select which tweets you want to build into the moment and then you select a cover image and a name and a description for it. I have also embedded one of my favourites so far. So Bruce Daisley who heads up Twitter for Europe has done some cool moments. Uh, One about all the times that he's tried to get Cameron Diaz to hang out with him. Uh, another one about how he runs to Ikea along the North Circular and the uh, Slats saga that he's had. But my favourite one is his review of people's home screens. So people send a screenshot of their home screen on their phone and he advises them on whether they've been efficient or not in terms of the way that they have their um, app icons aligned. So... That's embedded on the companion page on my website as well, katehamer.com. A few other things on Twitter, Ask Jelly has now integrated with Twitter. So if you haven't heard of it, Jelly is a community where you can ask questions and real people answer them rather than a search engine algorithm. Biz Stone, who was one of the founders of Twitter, is the founder of jelly and he talks about it being humanity plus technology so amplifying humanity with software so the integration with twitter is that now you can use the hashtag ask jelly when you ask a question on twitter and you'll get the answers back within twitter again there's a an embedded tweet on the companion page to show that in more detail Twitter continues to have emoji hashtags. The one that I spotted this week is hashtag debates 2016 around the presidential election. So have a look at that. Another thing on Twitter is that there's been a change to advertising. So now if you're driving people to your website, you can choose between just driving straight visits to your website or actually getting people to do something on your website. Where it used to be the case that it was a website clicks or conversions single objective, it's now been split, so you can choose website clicks or website conversions. So for the conversions element, you place a website tag on your site that will track what people do on the site. And then it will connect that behaviour to Twitter profiles. So the advertiser specifies the conversion event they want to advertise against. So perhaps for product purchases, you want to say people hitting a specific URL for your checkout. And then how much you're prepared to pay Twitter if someone converts. And then Twitter uses the website tags and the data it collects about people who visit its own site or app to pick out which ones it thinks are most likely to visit your site and convert. So it'll show those ads to the relevant people on Twitter, both logged in and not logged in. So you will still be charged when someone clicks on the ad to visit your site, even if they don't end up converting. But the idea is that Twitter is now going to aim ads more narrowly at the people most likely to convert. And Twitter is saying that advertisers who've used the conversion-only objective have notched two and a half times more conversions from their ads than they did when using the previous website clicks or conversions objective. So it sounds promising. And finally on Twitter, rumours continued this week about the sale of Twitter and now Disney have been thrown into the mix alongside Google and Salesforce. Bob Iger at Disney and Jack Dorsey at Twitter apparently get on well and there's rumours that that might make it more likely to be Disney. Obviously, the attraction for Disney is that it could really help focus its video distribution because with Twitter's real-time feed and the fact that it's starting to do live streaming of sport events, Disney obviously owns ESPN, Uh, and has also invested in BamTech which is a streaming media company so that would make sense and obviously it also gives them huge access in terms of presence on mobile devices that Twitter has so watch this space On to Meerkat, I've not hugely talked about Meerkat ever I don't think so it was a similar product to Periscope in terms of live streaming video came out around the same time And earlier last week, it looked like it had been hacked. They deleted all of their tweets on Twitter and there was a GIF posted saying, I'm ready to party. I've embedded that tweet on the companion page. And so everyone was thinking they've been hacked or the social media team have been on the wine. But it turned out that they were just preparing for a subsequent rebrand to be called House Party and house party is different to meerkat so it's using their tech but has got a very different purpose so the co-founder of meerkat ben rubin posted a blog and said 18 months ago we introduced Meerkat, six months later we made the decision to change direction and focus on making live video a daily habit. We weren't seeing the engagement that we hoped to get over time and thought that maybe the format of broadcast, one to many, is too far away from the everyday user. Today we're happy to introduce our latest experiment, House Party, is a synchronous social network and it just finished going through a successful beta period of six months. On the surface it's like a super fast and simple group FaceTime while also becoming the foundation for an elaborate virtual space where people can hang with friends when they are physically apart face-to-face conversations over the internet are way too formal right now we wanted a lightweight way for us to see our friends every day no setup required in a funny way this is always the experience we wanted to give our users on meerkat so they've included some guiding principles to use that they've used to develop house party so rule number one it's a party. Open up the app and you're with your friends immediately. The more people you know at the party, the more fun it is. No randos. A house party is comfortable and casual. You can show up or leave at any time. So users are always live as soon as you open it. It's permissive, so friends can join friends of friends' conversations. And users know when friends are in the app. And there's clear notifications to tell you who's in the house. So I've put a link to join house party on the companion page and also some examples of how it works so have a look at that as well. Quick thing on Spotify, it's rumoured to be an advanced talks by SoundCloud, which obviously shows it's serious about continuing to give Apple a run for their money. It's got more than double the 17 million paid users that Apple has at the moment, but obviously Apple are playing a long game. So looks like it's probably going to be Apple and Spotify as the two main players. Tinder have added a bit of new functionality this week. So a feature which gives users an instant advantage in tallying up matches. So it's part of its monetization drive. You can now pay to boost your profile to the front of the local queue, reaching more people for a half hour window. Apparently you'll get up to 10 times more views in that half hour. So Tinder plus subscribers get one free boost each week, but then you can purchase more when required and it's currently being tested in Australia, but will soon be expanded to other markets. Google announced some developments this week to their data and analytics. I've put a link to their full blog on the companion page. So they introduced uh, analytics 360 suite in March. And after that, they released a beta version of a reporting solution called Data Studio. And now they're launching the free version. So it's in beta at the moment of Optimize 360. So this is a landing page testing and optimization tool that integrates with Google Analytics. You can request a invite to the beta and there's a link to do that on the companion page. Following the beta version of a free version of Data Studio 360 in the US, they've now announced that that's available globally and it also includes some new report templates which will be available from this month. So, the templates will make it easier to start building and sharing reports. You can pull in a whole variety of data sources like Google Analytics, AdWords, Google Sheets, etc. They've also introduced a new metric called Session Quality Score that's soon going to be available in beta in both the free and the paid versions of Google Analytics. So, this new Session Quality Score is built into analytics and uses machine learning to predict the likelihood of a visitor making a transaction on your site or app and that metric then makes it possible to remarket to those visitors deemed high value so it's just one more way Google's incorporating machine learning into its products it follows on the introduction of smart goals which are designed for site owners who don't have conversion tracking set up or don't capture enough e-commerce data to be used for ad optimization Other examples of where they're using machine learning include the automated insights in the Google Analytics app and the machine learning driven targeting in the recent update of Universal App Campaigns that aims to show ads to users more likely to download advertisers' apps. Tag Manager has also been developed. So, Google Tag Manager and Tag Manager 360 users. We'll see the addition of 20 new integrations with data sources like Quantcast, Twitter, Bing, Nielsen and more. And rather than having to use custom HTML tags, um, you can select the tag template from this list of integrations and you'll start to see them become available over the coming weeks. So I mentioned it briefly last week that there is this event on the 4th of October where Google is going to be launching some hardware. It's expected to debut a pair of Pixel branded phones, a VR headset, a Wi-Fi router, the Amazon Echo like Google Home and a 4K capable digital media player. That latter device, the 4K capable digital media player, is going to be marketed as the Chromecast Ultra. So it's going to be sold alongside the existing high definition Chromecast dongle, but where that sells for about $35, the Ultra is going to be $69. And it brings more powerful hardware capable of streaming content with 4K resolution from a device like a smartphone to an HDMI equipped display. You might have heard this week talk of Planet Day, which is linked to Do It Day, which happens on the 10th of November. So the drum runs Do It Day each year. There's one in the US and one in the UK. And there's a whole range of projects that have been agreed at the Planet Day that you can sign up to join in with on Do It Day. And I'm just taking this opportunity to do a shameless plug for Digital Futures, which is an apprenticeship scheme that I am a lecturer for. So agencies or brands take on an apprentice and that apprentice spends a day a week with Digital Futures being taught by digital practitioners and getting a real good education in all the different elements of digital and on do it day we want to place 100 apprentices in one day and the hashtag is hashtag drop the ladder and it's about how you can drop the ladder to help someone up and new into the industry and they're asking people to think about times where someone's dropped the ladder for you so again there's a link on the companion page please check it out give digital futures a follow and see if you can get involved A few examples of great stuff that brands are doing, some of these are more visual and so they're on the companion page. I saw someone tweet some images from an ice hockey game that showed the perimeter boards had got thanks at whoever for being a fan and they were using Twitter to bring their fans onto the perimeter board, so have a look at that. I've also put one of my favourite tweets of the presidential election campaign so far. Just makes me laugh every time I look at it. So have a look at that as well. Sainsbury's did some cool tweets this week where someone had had a huge rant on social media about how vegan cheese shouldn't be called cheese. It should be called something like Gary because it's not cheese. And so Sainsbury's did a rebrand of their vegan cheese to be called Gary and tweeted out a picture of it so there's a moment going through the whole story of that on the companion page as well and then a nice thing that happened through social media is that someone had got their first new five pound note and so they said that they were going to donate it to charity and now the hashtag first fiverr has grown and lots of people are getting involved and donating the first new five pound note that they get to charity so again have a look at that and maybe donate your first five or I've not had mine yet so I think I will be doing that when I get it so that's it for the digital news this week as I said I'm now going to talk about Jerry Dakin's latest blog which is six ways Twitter still confuses marketeers but shouldn't so if you are not confused by twitter you are done you're up to date thanks for listening and for those of you still listening i will get on to jerry's blog so hopefully he doesn't mind that i'm just reading his blog out but hey hopefully i'm giving him some extra reach so basically he's saying for some reason marketers seem to struggle to get twitter Too often, it's stereotyped purely on its 140-character limit and complete reliance on real-time conversations or earned impressions. That's a huge shame and a missed opportunity at a time when the platform is more impactful than it's ever been. But can they really be blamed when there's so much misinformation out there? I thought I'd try and set the record straight on some common misconceptions. Number one. Creativity is too limited to squeeze into 140 characters. I don't know what Twitter you've been looking at, but my timeline is a rich mix of photos, GIFs, live video, as well as some fantastically well-crafted text updates. The cards offered to advertisers are one of the richest canvases out there. You just need something to fill them with. Even the text limit itself, recently relaxed to allow you to say more while still sharing media, can be a powerful catalyst to clever copywriting. Who's going to read a longer post anyway? Two, our organic activity is reaching millions already. I couldn't begin to count the number of presentations I've sat in which played down the need for paid media support because they're already reaching millions of people. The worst offence on this front was always sharing an opportunities to see calculation based on the total number of followers of anyone engaging with your brand. In reality, only a small percentage of those will see anything they tweet, and if they're messaging you directly, an even smaller portion who follow you both. That conversation you had back and forth with a major celebrity? Only your joint followers were seeing it. Twitter gives a better indication of actual impressions now but even this can overstate the unique individuals reached. Three, but we managed to make the trending topics. A simple education job here. Trends aren't as universal as you might imagine. They are highly personalised to who you are, where you are, and in particular, who you follow. It's hardly surprising that a brand might see their own tags trend if even a handful of followers join in. That doesn't mean that you're trending for anyone else in the wider population. Unfortunately, it's very rare for a brand to truly organically trend, hence why many are willing to pay for the true visibility of being a nationwide promoted topic. Running an awful hashtag or retweet contest to try and force this does the opposite of build your brand. 4. It's more important to have engagement and one-on-one conversations. There's a curious habit of dismissing the need for reach on Twitter because that's what traditional media is for. Twitter is all about being part of the conversation and driving one-on-one engagement, right? Twitter themselves have been known in the past to sell this story, but the numbers don't really add up. However great those moments of personal connection are, any brand needs to massively scale them up to be having a real impact. There's a real danger that you'll invest endless hours into small organic postings that hardly anyone sees. You've had a phone for years, do you ring up all your customers for a chat? Okay, B2B marketers, fair play to you. You can be relevant to a large audience using clever targeting and responsive creative. That way it can still feel quite personal. Five, you have to be real-time and responsive. Jumping on real-time trends and having a reaction to just about any real-world event is often pitched as a good Twitter strategy. It is, however, telling that early success stories like Oreo have largely moved past this tactic. Not only do you risk losing your brand message in an attempt to be relevant, You're also stepping out into the noisiest possible conversations on the platform where the vast majority of brands vanish without a trace. Well thought through, finely crafted and well promoted content is a lot easier and a lot more effective than the real time treadmill. And if you don't tweet for a few hours, days, weeks whilst you save up your media money sorry, no one will notice. And finally six, no one actually uses Twitter anymore anyway. The RIP Twitter news stories have come thick and fast in recent years, seemingly in defiance of the numbers. Twitter had twice the number of active users during the most recent US presidential debate as it did for the previous cycle. And more so than that, they've opened up ways of reaching their logged out traffic and even beyond through their audience platform network, in total to the best part of a billion people. It will be interesting to see if live streaming of sports and key events can help them grow their core audience base further as they do face challenges growing in some markets. And there are questions of the daily return rate, but their potential reach has never been stronger. Okay, so what should we do? To me, it's surprisingly simple. The audience is there if you want it, but like with any media, you really do have to pay to get meaningful scale. Even charities and small organisations will find their impact transformed if they can find 50 quid to put behind occasional posts. There's an engaged and attentive audience, but with high expectations to invest in making strong content that will actually be memorable and stand out. Video has an increasing role on the platform, but as with Facebook's newsfeed, remember plenty of people are only watching a couple of seconds of your content, so rethink it accordingly. Don't just think about occasional campaign moments, but see how targeting could make you relevant to individuals at different times throughout the week, month and year. There are occasions when jumping into the conversation around key moments can pay off, but only if it's truly brand relevant and usually if you have the promoted media budget to get noticed in the first place. If you've got no budget at all to promote your content, and even a little can go a long way, think long and hard before investing hours into running a channel. So the link to the full blog is on the companion page or you can just rewind and listen again. Uh, that's by Jerry Dakin. That is all the news for this week. I hope you found it useful. Do let me know by tweeting at Kate Hamer LTD or emailing kate at katehamer.com. Have a great week.